0: Hi, I'm Victor Milligan.
1: And I'm Jennifer Isabella.
0: You're a co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means. We explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. We have two guests on the phone with us today. John Lincoln, customer experience lead at Duke Energy, and David Schonberg, director of customer experience at PG&E, to discuss CX in the utility industry. Welcome, gentlemen.
2: It's good to be here.
0: Great to be here, too. So let's start with a why question. CX across industries are typically put in motion for ultimately for financial performance, or maybe issues they're trying to correct within the industry or catch up to changing customer dynamics. Why did you guys stand it up at Duke Energy and PG&E, respectively?
2: We recognized that our customers were evolving. Uh, historically, we really waited for customers to contact us if they had a high bill or an outage, but we recognized that if we were going to be relevant in people's lives uh, we needed to offer more relevant products and services to them in a compelling way. And so in order to do that, we needed to be much more customer-focused um, in our approach.
3: Yeah, and, uh, and so similar to uh, what John was saying with this thing at Duke is uh, we also saw um – uh, increasing customer expectations among uh, our customer base uh, that we want to respond to, and and frankly, even though we are a monopoly, you know, we feel it's it's the right thing to do. We always strive to provide the best possible services to, at, at the lowest possible price. Um, there's there's also a couple of business reasons that that I would point out uh, that. Sort of make customer experience even even more compelling uh, in the utility industry. Uh, number one is uh, in the utility space good customer experience actually leads to um, lower costs for the utility. Um, you know, the majority of the costs that we incur are, you know, phone calls and, and rolling trucks to our customers, which you know usually are um, tied to uh, some sort of failed uh, customer experience. And so for us, uh, better customer experience means lower costs for the company and ultimately lower bills uh, for our customers. And, and finally, and this is something that doesn't maybe get talked about quite as much in the industry, but I think is equally as important, is, you know, look, better customer experience leads to better customer satisfaction, which actually is one of the factors that Standard & Poor's uses uh, in their credit ratings uh, for utilities. And we are uh, an industry that's heavily dependent on the credit ratings and something that we uh, pay very close attention to. So that's another uh, reason why customer experience matters.
2: I would add to what David said that one of the things that we've seen is that when we have good customer experience and good customer satisfaction, we experience more favorable regulatory outcomes. In other words, our regulators look on our rate requests and our return on investment requests uh, more favorably, which is a, a good thing for our business, obviously.
0: Yeah, and I want to turn back to what you said at the beginning, David, which is, Customers tend to engage the utility company at a transactional state, I'm moving, or I'm, I'm in a billing period, or a negative state, and certainly an emotionally charged state, which is an outage management. How did you think about introducing or reintroducing a set of experience to to these same customers?
3: Yeah, so for us, uh, so I mean, you're definitely right that uh, the two primary touch points uh, for customers are uh, during the billing cycle as well as. Um, during the outage experience, so the power goes out. I guess that's a third uh, around uh, start and transfer service. And you know the way the way I think about the utility industry is very is very much uh, in a sports analogy uh, in football. We we are the the offensive line, if you will. Right. So this is. Uh, for those who are maybe not as familiar with football, it is it is a, a crucial part of the team that doesn't really get heralded very much, except um, when it breaks down, when the quarterback gets sacked. That's when everybody talks about um, uh, the offensive line and, and starts to appreciate uh, its value uh, more, and it's, it's very similar for us. Um, nobody really Wakes up in the morning and thinks about the utility and, and how much they uh, they like or dislike it. However, in a, in a situation like a storm, um, and you know that's that's when customers really start to think about okay, this is a fundamental need uh, for our lives, and they really start to appreciate it more than during uh, what we call a, a blue sky day when the weather is perfect.
0: Yeah, there's an interesting phenomenon, certainly because of however one thinks about global warming. Nonetheless, whether I'm thinking about Puerto Rico, the California fires, or very recently the storms in the Northeast, and utility companies, to your point, David, they're very front and center in people's lives. And some of the heroism or some of the risk-taking that happens on the ground is, is notable and must, it must sort of accompany a, a revised or improved view of the utility company to begin the change of you know, how they perceive you as an entity.
3: Yeah, that's definitely true, and we've actually uh, found in uh, over time that during uh, events like major storms or we, we had a, with an earthquake in Napa actually a few years ago, that was a 6.0. That's actually when our customer satisfaction scores uh, tend to go up during those times because customers can see us out in the community. They, they see our trucks um, in, in times of need, and that's uh, oftentimes a positive for us from both a customer stat and a customer experience
0: standpoint. John, is that the same for you at Duke?
2: Yes, it is. Um, In fact, uh, we've got a pretty substantial social media presence. And what we see on Twitter and on Facebook is initially customers have angst about their power outages and they're frustrated. And what we oftentimes see is other customers begin to come in to sort of to our defense and the defense of the people out in the field doing a yeoman's job to get the power restored. And so it's, it's very interesting to watch the dynamic there uh, because people recognize that people are sacrificing their personal life and their time to uh, restore the power and then follow on to that. Once the power is back on, they become extremely complimentary.
0: Right. There's this classic uh, relationship between brand and CX, I mean, and ultimately Brand creates a promise and CX delivers against that promise. And this is sitting in the backdrop of green energy, energy revolution, alternative uh, energy sources, that type of thing, where people really start thinking about the health of the planet. And again, this places the utility very much front and center. So as you thought about the CX programs, how did you think about energy efficiency as one of the angles to which you'd want to engage customers?
2: Uh, we recognize that uh, energy efficiency is one of our power sources, quite frankly. We have all kinds of generation from nuclear to natural gas, et cetera. Um, we also recognize that there was money to be made in energy efficiency uh, because if we were helping our customers use their energy more wisely, it would reduce the need for us to build new power plants and, and those kinds of things that are significant expenses. It's definitely a win-win for us. All
0: right. And for David, this has been a hallmark of pg e's brand for years,
3: yeah, absolutely. So you know we have had uh energy efficiency programs for you know over thirty years now, and um very successfully so and then so John described its value very well, and we've actually recently gone uh to the steps to actually enshrine uh climate change as a challenge uh, that we're facing head on in our uh, company mission vision. Uh, statement that uh, that we revised last year, and i I thought was an extraordinary step for a utility of our size
0: at the heart of CX and John you mentioned this is the customer and, and a, a changing view of the customer across all industries there's this this common theme of customers have changed and continually and rapidly evolve their expectations and behaviors so how does the utility company think of a customer what is the model that you have and I know I know, John. You mentioned there's like there's many types, but is there some way that you think of the disruption of the customer to your firms or to the industry at large?
2: Yeah, I would say that if we we segment our customers based on a variety of factors. We've built some models to to help us do that because obviously we can't serve every customer exactly individually exactly. Uh, we're working toward that based on the knowledge that we have of their usage and all of the data that we have about our customers, as well as other uh, factors in their lives. But the reality is, we have to bucket customers um, in order to uh, be intentional about programs and services that we offer. Um, and then we also use that for our communication strategies to our customers because we're finding that obviously the younger generation is much more digitally enabled and using um, their smartphones and devices much more significantly to do everything they do in their lives. Um, And so we're significantly ramping up our digital uh, experience as well. And the the other piece of this is um, it's it's the relationship that the customer may or may not want to have with Duke Energy. So we're also looking at that in terms of building that relationship and engaging customers to the degree that they would like to be engaged and in the way that they would like to be engaged because it's all about customer preferences.
3: David,
1: I assume the same is true for PG&E.
3: So absolutely, John. Uh, described it really well, and actually uh, their approach uh, very much mirrors what we're doing uh, over here at PG&E. Uh, the, there's a couple points I would add. So one is, is is around product usage. So we look a lot around how customers actually use our product. Um, so we we do have residential customers who you know have solar on the roof, who have an EV out front, and uh, might be looking at a at a Tesla power pack to uh, to, to meet their storage needs. Uh, you know, in our service territory, we have one in four solar customers in the country is a PG&E customer, and we have over 150,000 electric vehicles. Um, So we have a lot of residential customers who are really engaged in their energy usage. Uh, But the vast majority, um, to to John's point as well, is is not quite as engaged, right? And and there's also no need for us to really push that engagement if they don't want to be engaged, but rather for us to say, okay, how does this customer want to be served, and how do we uh, meet their needs? And the final thing uh, that I think is an unique to our industry as opposed to others, is that we really truly have to service everybody. Um, we do not uh, necessarily choose our customers, nor do they choose us. So we have, to, we have to service everybody from those who really, really like us to those who may not like us as much. And we have to figure out ways to uh, engage and, and service those customers all equally and make sure all that, that all their needs are met.
2: I want to echo what what David said. That's a really powerful point and a differentiator for our industry. I was driving home a number of years ago after a snowstorm, and I was amazed that the lights were on everywhere. And I realized that every light bulb in every school and every church and every gas station and every home and every townhouse, everywhere I was looking was powered by our company. And then I thought about the fact that every human being in all of those places was our customer. And it was daunting because I was in financial services for a number of years and we had a 20% market share. So that would have been one in every five residents or, or uh, businesses were our customers. And we were able to choose our customers based on our based on our pricing model. And to David's point, we have a fiduciary responsibility to offer uh, power to anyone who can pay for it. And so, you know things like deposit policies come into play, um, and they, in today's world, they cannot be one size fits all because it hurts some customers more than others. And so this, this notion that we can treat everyone exactly the same is a very outdated notion. And it costs us significant amounts of money, and it also costs us potential business opportunities unless we address that.
0: John, I want to build on that point for a second because, you know, in the Northeast here, we just had some significant storms and, you know, my power was out for five days and there's something that is viscerally thrilling about turning a switch and having the power come on. But it's only thrilling when the power is off for a period of time, because most people just treat it as an everyday expectation. What is the thought process of sort of re-informing or informing customers about what's happening in the energy sector and utility sector? Is it part of your thinking to reintroduce the elements of the utility or energy sector to the customer to sort of not make it an everyday sort of routine expectation?
2: Yes, and I would say, uh, and not but. What we've seen in many of our studies with our customers is when we begin to tell customers about what we do um, in our sort of language, and we're sort of uh, proud of the fact that we serve, you know, seven and a half million customers, et cetera. Their eyes glaze over, and they really don't care because it's they themselves they care about. Now, some care about the environment, some care about social justice, and those kinds of things. But by and large, people care about their particular situations. And what we see is that we've we've really improved around a couple of areas. One is arming our folks internally with knowledge about what's going on in our business and what we're doing out in our communities and for our customers so that when they're engaging with people outside work, um, they can speak to that and have context around what's going on. And then we also are uh, doing a lot of messaging to our customers, informing them at the right time about the right information that they need to know at that time. So just a simple example is, as we have a significant number of storms that we deal with because we're on the southeast, and so we have a large presence in Florida, for example. So as hurricanes become a part of the mix during the hurricane season, we begin educating customers about what they can do to take steps to prepare themselves ahead of the storm and then increase that messaging as the storm approaches and give them updates around that and then statuses of our restoration efforts as the storm is underway and as it's passing. And so it gives them a sense that they're not alone, uh, that they have information to have confidence that we are doing what we say we're going to do and that we've got their backs. And that's been very powerful as well,
1: we had talked, David, about how PG&E had used data and analytics to understand the customer and also to determine customer communication. So if you could walk us through that a bit, that'd be great.
3: Uh, sure. So one of our primary or biggest assets uh, that we have as a utility is that we have a, a great amount of data in terms of who our customers are uh, and, and, more importantly, how they interact with our with our product. And so we definitely leverage that as we are at at experiences. So, so a good example would be the outage experience when the power does go out. Uh, we can measure exactly um, how we communicate with every single one of our customers, how quickly we get them that information, and how accurate it is. And so that's and we've really found that the that both the accuracy, of course, as well as how quickly we can get information out, are the most important drivers uh, during an outage experience. So we. We measure that every single day, and we, you know, we literally go through tens of millions of data points um, to see how we perform, to see where uh, pain points are for our customers, and to really get uh, to some of, some of the root causes to actually um, improve those experiences.
0: And so this this goes back to your point, David, that one of the key phenomenon here is that CX is actually there to reduce cost because all of the outbound messaging and keeping people informed will reduce or ultimately minimize the inbound costs they're taking on the call center.
3: Yeah, and, and, and I want to make sure that, you know, that's not understood to be the the primary reason why we do this because um, what happens is if we can lower our cost, that also means uh, lower bills for our customers. So, those uh, that relationship there is one on one, and at the end at the end of the day, the primary uh, satisfaction driver for a utility customer is, is a lower bill.
0: So, both of you gentlemen are leading the CX program of your firms, and for. For some of the employees, it might be a change of focus or a change of sort of the acuteness of the focus of serving the customer, and some of this may be a very natural kind of transition. What did it feel like to stand up the programs and sort of take a lead position in the firm to sort of drive that customer orientation to everything that Duke and PG&E did?
2: I'll chime in first because I have sort of an analogy I always talk about, um, at least from my experience, having been at Duke for Over seven years. When I joined the company, uh, doing CX in the organization felt a little bit like uh, pushing a boulder up a muddy slope in the rain. And it was very slippery. And I might get a little bit of headway, but then it would begin to rain and it would be very slippery. And I'd probably, the boulder would probably go back a step. But now um, what we see now is that the sun uh, comes out much more frequently and uh, the, the, the mud is drying into dirt and we're able to push the boulder with more people um, Focus on this within our organization. So it's it's an analogy, but it's been an evolution, I would say.
0: And David, you mentioned that pg and had a, a program for a while now. Was it, was it a, you know, back then, was it a similar type of adjustment or was it different?
3: To echo what John said, uh, yeah, we've been around uh, for a few years, uh, about three years or so, as, as an organization. But uh, haven't haven't felt quite uh, some of the uphill battles that, that John has faced. But we haven't been around as long, um, and but also our company is a little bit different. Uh and has been uh, serving California and only California for uh, well over a hundred years. So we've been um, organized where we are now. We haven't gone through the Burgess and acquisitions that Duke has um, over the uh, last uh, couple of decades or so. And so the, the focus for us really has been our employees, right? So we have 23,000 employees uh, that work for this Fortune 200 company that services only one state, right? And if you sort of think about it, how many Fortune 200 companies actually service just one one state in the United States? And, and we sort of thought about that as an asset but every one of our employees lives and works and plays um, with, within our service territory. We, we are all our own customers, and so our employees really care um, about how the company shows up in the community and how it is perceived. And so the challenge for my team has really been to translate what every employee does, particularly in sort of the back office and and more on the operations side, to how that shows up for the customer, right? So how does the one thing that you do, um, John Smith, um, translate to a better customer experience? And um, sort of connecting those dots for our employees has really been the key for us to drive customer experience and to to sort of tell the story of, of what customer experience really means for a utility.
1: So, John, I think when we when we spoke previously, you had mentioned, you know, the role that employees play in sort of this transformation. Can you touch a little bit on that specific to Duke Energy and, and what's going on there at your firm?
2: Sure. Um, we recognize that culture is key to all of this, that it really doesn't matter how sophisticated your systems are, um, how great your product offering is or any of those kinds of things if your employees aren't. Really aligned and uh, believing in what you're doing, and then providing uh, really great experiences in whatever capacity they have uh, within the organization. So we're doing a substantial amount of work around that. One of the, one of the things we implemented a couple of years ago that we're um, really uh, pushing now are some pretty simple guide, guideposts for interactions with our customers. We call them our customer promises, and those are uh, just four. Uh, guide, guidepost. Uh, be easy to do business with. Value me as a customer. Listen for my needs. Offer me relevant solutions and work to get it right the first time. And uh, you know, no matter where you are in the company, no matter what role you have, you can apply those. You can apply those to the uh, as we design experiences for our customers, as we interact with our customers, as we interact with one another. Quite frankly, within the company, um, and getting people to believe that they have a higher purpose, uh, that our company has a higher purpose, and that each person has a purpose when they come into work is absolutely critical. And it starts at the top with the CEO, and then it goes all the way through the organization. And the only way to do that that I know of is to have a clear vision about what that is, have engaging conversations around that, make it relevant for people as they do their jobs. Um, and then continually, continually carry that message, uh, plus rewards and recognition programs that support that kind of behavioral um, activity that that people see um, is, is absolutely crucial. So that's, that is a heavy component of what we're doing now. And it's, it's interesting because we didn't necessarily think that way. We're an engineering company overall and have been for years and years. And engineers don't always think uh, that people... Or people? They think everything should be very logical. Well, people aren't always logical. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> As we all know. <laughs> Never that's a, a truer very true statement. statement
0: yeah. <laughs> One question I had about that very point, which is, you know, the utility industry is is not unique, but it is it is notable in that customers tend not to churn out unless they move, and other industries often invest in CX because of the possible upside, but a lot of the pace of the CX you know improvements is driven because of the concern for churn. How did you get folks to to focus on the upside of this thing with maybe not that that panic about churn sitting in the background?
2: Well, for us, it's been more about it's the right thing to do. Again, it gets back to purpose. If people come to work and push widgets or sort widgets, add widgets, that kind of thing without a greater sense of purpose, they tend to retire in place and they do just what's needed in their role to get the job done and to get paid. Um, but what we see, and this is ad- attitudinal studies that have gone on forever uh, around employee engagement and enablement, is that if someone feels a connection to the purpose of the company that's been articulated in a clear enough way that's compelling, they will go the extra, you know, the extra mile uh, in their jobs. And it's no longer a job. It becomes uh, a role in supporting all of that stuff. So they feel a sense of connection to the work of the company, and to the customer. And so people want to do the right thing. They just have to be afforded the opportunity to do that and pro- be provided the tools to do that.
1: In in hearing both of you come and comment on this question, it feels like the transparency of your firms is crucial and key to building that customer trust, that showing what you're doing in the community, or to your point, David, what, what happens in the back office, and bringing that kind of, forth to customers and showing them how you're working is pretty critical to that relationship that you're building.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, the the is made up of of uh, uh, lots of different employees who work in lots of different communities and all these communities are very different. San Francisco is not the same as, as Fresno, California, and we recognize that and and, and how we organize ourselves and how we show up in those communities uh, does differ. And, and we do think that does make a difference.
0: Both of you gentlemen mentioned that the customer's changing and one of the references was the smartphone. And obviously there's a desire for customers across all industries to engage firms digitally. And you know, firms are in different speeds in terms of responding to that dynamic. How do you guys think of sort of digitizing your engagement with a customer and and how did that impact the way you think of customer facing technologies versus sort of the technologies that are there to make the business run?
2: I would say, uh, we recognize that the power is in our customer's hands, uh, and we want it to be there. And so when we think about smart devices, it could be their tablet. It could be their smartphone. I mean, it could be their traditional laptop, I suppose, uh, for some of our customers still, and will be for a while, but it's really, uh, you know, making those, those common transactions that, that the majority of customers do available to them um, in a very simple, easy way uh, whenever they want those. So what, one of the things we're working on now, and it sounds very simple, but it's actually quite complex, is a customer app for them to be able to do their more of their routine things. But we're also building a platform with that, so that we can offer products and services at the right time, based on the data we have about customers and their usage patterns, and our modeling that we've done, so that we can off- tee up those offers as they're going into the app, and then do proactive kind of pushes and then communications as well, uh, to be able to um, you know offer the right thing at the right time, if you if you will. It's. We, we recognize that not everyone is going to spend all their time on their phone on their Duke Energy app. But when they want to be able to do something, they need to be able to do it where they want to be able to do that.
3: Yeah, I would, I would definitely uh, agree with that. And I think, um, you know, I, I think every business uh, in the world is, is continually trying to figure out how to better uh, digitize the customer experience, if you will. But it's really important to John's point to make sure that whatever channel our customers engage with us, it's a consistent experience and a seamless experience, and that's really what we're focused on. Um, and, and it's important, just to, uh, on my earlier point, to recognize here that there are lots of customers that we service that uh, don't have access necessarily to, to a smartphone or or maybe on bank. We have um, a significant, uh, significant portion of our, our customer base um may not be using a smartphone or may not have, have access to to a bank account even uh, and we need to service them as well and so it, as we build out our digital platforms it's important to also uh remember that those customers uh, do exist and will continue to exist and that we need to service them uh just as well as servicing everybody else
0: yeah and on the more the on the far reaching side you you all have strengthened relationship between yourselves and the customers, and obviously there's a new competitive battleground behind the meter in smart homes. How do you guys think of competing there, introducing experiences there inside the home, whether, you know, the early stages being maybe demand response, but some of the more far-reaching models really suggest a very intelligent home?
2: Yeah, we're looking at partnering, and we have been partnering with a number of different vendors who provide different kinds of solutions somewhat to test and see what's viable, but then also to, to then select those uh, providers who are willing to you know p- play with us in a way that's beneficial to our customers. And so an example would be uh, we have several partners who are working with us around our customer app so that we the app will be able to do things like uh, some of the demand response kinds of activities, and then uh, thermostat control, and a number of other things, disaggregation of customers' usage, and, and those kinds of things, as those things evolve. Um, you, you know, the 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 thing that we have as utilities that no one else has is our customer usage data, yeah. and we are very very protective of that because that is something that is important to our customers. They don't want us sharing that uh, broadly. However. They do want us to be able to uh, offer them things based on you know, what we know about them. And so, you know, we, that is a competitive advantage for us uh, to be able to, to know exact usage uh, within the home.
3: Yeah, and I, what I would add here is, you know, it's, it's important to sort of uh, be ready for, for those trends behind the meter. But um, in order to, to play in those spaces, you really have to be good at what you're already doing right if if you send a customer a bill that might be incorrect or if you send them um, perhaps uh, incorrect information during an outage um, you've already lost that trust with the customer and they're certainly not going to engage with you on anything related to storage or demand response or anything else that uh, might be happening at uh, on uh, on the other side of the meter with uh, at the home level so it's, I, I think a continued focus on the basics and the fundamentals of what we do is something that we should, as a utility industry, never forget.
0: We've gone through a podcast to talk a little bit about how utility companies are themselves evolving to a changing customer reality, global warming, and other dynamics. So as you think about your tenure running the CX programs, what does it mean to you both as a leader and as a person?
3: Uh, What we talked about here on on the podcast today is is, you know, customer expectations are, are increasing across the board. Uh, there's lots of technologies uh, being introduced into our marketplace. And, you know, all within the context of sort of a highly, highly regulated environment. And what that really means for folks like John and I is, is that the complexity of working within the utility industry has really gone up. It is really hard to get things done, and it's really hard to um, – deliver on, on perfect customer experiences for all of our customers. But but I tell you what, it, it makes it really fun, right? I mean, the, the more complex and the harder it gets, uh, the more personally, the more personally uh, I am uh, excited to be here. And and with all that change that we have in our industry uh, today, what, what a time to be in the utility industry. But just, you know, I don't think a lot of people are, are, are talking about it sort of. It's a wonderful industry to be working in, and there's uh, so much change, and we can be driving the ship uh, as, um, as things are changing, and I think that's uh, I, there's no job I'd rather be in right now than the job I am in right now.
2: Yeah, uh, I think as a leader, you know, I go back to my analogy about pushing the boulder up a, a, the muddy uh, slope in the rain. Um, I see more and more that the clouds are parted and the suns comes out, and we have more and more people pushing the boulder because they believe in what we're doing, which is really invigorating, um, and it's very fulfilling for me to to experience that that I, I love to maximize opportunities no matter what they are, and I see that happening in the company. I think um, and to to see people actually, Uh, understanding how they need to direction themselves as opposed to kind of flailing around everyone trying to do something but none of it really uh, taking taking hold to be much more intentional uh, because we have a focus I think is it it feels very gratifying to me because I, I feel like we're on the on the right path at this point and it looks promising for the future as an individual you know, it's very gratifying to me to be a part of uh, all of this, as David said, because you know we really are on the on the cutting edge of, of this stuff, and uh, you know it gives me a reason to get up in the morning and come to work.
0: Thank you, gentlemen, for your time today.
2: Thank you. My pleasure.
1: Thanks, guys. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud. Stitcher, or tune in. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.